Thank you, Pastor Bill. If you had to choose between zeal and knowledge, which would you choose for a teacher in a medical school? And you happen to be able to look into the crystal ball and know that you will be a future patient of one of those students that that teacher teaches. Which would it be, knowledge or zeal? I wonder if your answer changed a bit as I painted the scenario for you. What about for a coach for the high school basketball team? Would you rather a coach with four decades of experience and knowledge, but who's utterly bored with the game, sleeping there on the bench? Would you rather a, a zealous recent graduate from college who maybe doesn't know the game as well, but who's right there, you know, yelling, running up and down the, the, the court with you? What about for a pastor? Knowledge or zeal? Maybe that's a tougher one. What do you think is more important for a Christian? Knowledge of the Bible? Or great zeal for God? Often we see in, in uh, our Christian life, if you think about that moment in which you were first saved, perhaps you were a new Christian with not a whole lot of knowledge yet of the Bible, but great zeal for the gospel. We see this in missions, don't we, walkers, sometimes. You'll, you'll meet these, you know, I remember working and serving in, in Central Asia and the Middle East. You get these young missionaries showing up on the field with great zeal, but not a whole lot of knowledge. Who would say things like, what we really need are more martyrs. And you're just thinking, no, we don't. <laughs> uh, or, you know, sometimes in these last, you know, decade or two, we, we've seen a, a resurgence among, you know, millennials and their passion to make a difference. But sometimes they'll confuse riding their bike across the state, raising money for poverty in Africa with missions itself. And while it's certainly good to care about poverty in Africa and try to, try to fight poverty in Africa, what they really need more than anything is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people who will go and invest their lives as the Walker family has. But you know, sadly what often happens is that youthful zeal grows cold as we grow in knowledge. Right? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and your heart has grown a little bit cold. Maybe you have a great knowledge of the Bible, but not enough zeal to go and share that knowledge with your next door neighbor. Maybe that's happened to you. We see that in missions as well, sadly, where there's an attitude of sit down, Mr. Carey. The Lord will save the heathen when he's good and ready. Right? A whole lot of knowledge with very little zeal. Well, do we have to choose between knowledge and zeal? Well, the good news is no. We should strive for both. And in our sermon text this morning, begins by telling us that we need a great zeal for souls. Look at verse 1 of that passage we all read together, Romans chapter 10. Paul says, brothers, my, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, 
That's, that's Israel he's talking about, for the Jewish people, is that they may be saved. Paul had a great deal of zeal for his own people, his own countrymen, that they may come to know their Messiah. Several weeks ago, we considered Paul's passion for the Israelites to come to know Jesus when we looked at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 9, in which Paul had said that he would actually make the ultimate trade if he could. His soul for theirs. That's what he said. He said, I, I would be willing to be accursed. I would be willing to suffer eternal damnation if God would indeed bring many of my people to himself. Talk about zeal. I mean, I, I don't know that I could say that. Talk about zeal. And here he reiterates this. He, he talks about his heart's desire and, and his, his prayer, what he spends time praying for, is, is that his people may come to know Jesus. J.B. Phillips translated Romans chapter 10, verse 1 in this way. My brothers, from the bottom of my heart, I long and pray to God that Israel may be saved. When, when's the last time that you prayed for your next door neighbor? Or for the person you work next to? Maybe even a family member that you've, maybe you've been praying for a long time for a, a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or a sibling or a cousin, someone you love who doesn't know Jesus. But maybe, maybe over time you've given up. I hope and pray that, that right now you're praying for our nation. In fact, Let's just stop and pray for that right now. You know, we have a pandemic going on and we should be praying for our state, but there's a much greater need than for God to remove COVID from us. There's a much greater need that we all have and that is eternal salvation. Lord God, be with our nation that is hurting. And Lord, be with our state. We're suffering in so many ways, Lord. Division between people and, and, and a pandemic where um, there, there's fear and Lord, there is, um, there is ungrace and there's also great bravery, medical providers risking their lives day in and day out, caring for patients and others. Lord, we, we pray for people who are sick right now, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, I pray that you would use this pandemic to call many people to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would free us from our dependence on lesser things. Lord, we've depended on our prosperity and we have depended on our entertainment. We have depended on our success instead of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would use this pandemic and use us to be zealous witnesses to others such that you may call many people to know you during this time. Lord, we pray that you would save many, many souls from hell and add them to your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that you'd be merciful as well to our state, to our nation, to our, to our world. And we pray that quickly, Lord, you would rid us from COVID-19. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, don't worry. We're not finished with sermon yet. That was just a um, 
you know, we believe in pray right away here, right? And I just want to encourage you to do that. When you're talking to people and they mention a prayer request, just stop and just get in the habit of just stopping what you're doing and, and taking it to the Lord right then. We need a zeal for souls, but we also need a zeal with knowledge. And that's really the main point of this of this text. We need a, a zeal with knowledge. Look at verse 2, and that's our second point there if you're following along in the listening guide. Romans chapter 10, verse 2, Paul talks about his people. He says, I bear them witness that they have a, a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You know, we often think of the Jews of the Old Testament as, as being wishy-washy. And at, at times they were. At times they became idolatrous. But, you know, there was a change historically uh, between uh, the, the, the Jewish nation in the pre-Babylonian and Assyrian uh, captivity and the Jews who returned from exile. You know, the, the Jews who had returned to Palestine from the Babylonian captivity who lived in Paul's day were zealous for God. They had, they had resisted the Greek invader Antiochus Epiphanes, who in a very violent way tried to force the Jewish people to succumb to Hellenism or to a Greek way of thinking. He had actually erected at sword point a idolatrous statue of the goddess Venus in the sanctuary, in the temple, and had at the point of swords force-fed the Jewish priest's pig to try to force them to defile their religion, and yet the Jewish people had successfully revolted against this Greek overlord under the Maccabean. You've probably studied or heard of the Maccabean Rev Revolution. Okay, and so they were very zealous. So the Jews in the days of Jesus and the Jews in the days of Paul were very, very zealous for the law of Moses. And of course, then the Roman occupation and tyranny only added to their zeal. So, so nationalism. And the Mosaic law in their minds had combined, right? And so they were, they, they were really struggling, these, the, 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 these Jews in the days of Paul, and, and some who'd even come to see Jesus as a Messiah, they're having a hard time giving up this allegiance to the law of Moses. And so they wanted to add works. They wanted to add the Mosaic law to the gospel as a requirement for the Roman church. Well, here's, here's the point that Paul is making here in verse 2, that they have a great zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Here's the point. It, it's possible to be zealous and lost. As one scholar put it, zeal does not replace truth. You know, we, we have Mormon friends in our town who are zealous, maybe more than we are. Who, who have been knocking on doors and now they're writing handwritten letters since they can't knock on doors right now. Beth and I had the opportunity to spend over a decade working with Muslims, trying to, to share Jesus with them. But I was often convicted that some of my Muslim friends had a greater zeal than most Christians that I know. I remember watching my, my friend Saeed pray five times a day. And, and that was not just when there were other Muslims around. That, he and I remember traveling with him uh, in Afghanistan and, and, and he was with a couple other Christians 
And, and he might be the only guy in the room, but he would pray five times a day. And so I, I thought, man, you know, do I pray every time I'm with, and, and ask yourself this, maybe you've been on a business trip or something, and you're the only Christian at the table that you know of, do you stop and pray for the meal? I haven't always done that. I've even heard stories of Christian missionaries who went and spent years working with Muslims who actually converted to Islam because they, were, they, saw, a, they saw far more zeal and devoutness among their Muslim friends than they saw back at home in churches here in America and even in their own lives. Well, Paul himself, before he was saved, before he met Jesus on that road, he had been a very zealous Jew, very zealous for the Mosaic law. In fact, he writes about that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. He, he says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. In Philippians chapter 3, he talks about the, the, his former zeal before he was saved, before he knew Jesus. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He wrote his young disciple Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, and said, though formerly I was a blasphemer in his zeal, he means a persecutor in his zeal, an insolent, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. So clearly, you can be very, very zealous for a cause, and you can be very, very lost. You can be very, very long. It is uh, uh, wrong. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge. But you know, and this is an aside, but I, I feel the need to, to make this point here because Paul was talking about Jews who were very zealous, but they were missing the whole point of the gospel, okay? We have the gospel. We, we have that truth, okay? Um, it's not good to have knowledge without zeal. A, a lukewarm Christian we read in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 in particular, is distasteful to God. A lukewarm Christian that's neither hot nor cold is distasteful to God. That's exactly what he says in Revelation, chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I know your works. He's writing to the church at Laodicea. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. ESV was nice there when they translated that one. Uh, maybe a more literal translation would be vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth. You make me sick. That's what God says to lukewarm Christians. So if that's you today, today would be a great day to be like, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. But here Paul is explaining that, that the zealous Jews were ignorant of gospel truth. Look at verse 
3. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, the human nature wants control. This is, this is true of, of folks all around the world. You can go to tribal places. You can go to, to South Asia. You can go to Sub-Saharan Africa. You can go to you know, the tribes within, the, within the, the, the Amazon basin where folks are animistic, meaning they're, 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 serving, you know, they're living in fear of the spirits and trying to manipulate the spirit world for, for their own power. Um, human nature wants control. And that was the same, uh, that was true of the Jews of Paul's day. Their problem wasn't that they thought too highly of the law. The, the problem was that they thought too highly of themselves. They thought that, that they could keep all 613 commandments of the Mosaic law. They also became arrogant and ethnocentric, or we might even say racist, in their attitudes towards Gentiles, towards non-Jews. Instead of fulfilling their mandate that God had given them to shine the glory of God among them that we see throughout the Old Testament, instead they became exclusive and thought they were better than others. So the law was intended to show God's righteousness and to display our inability to meet that high mark. John Calvin said, the first step to obtaining the righteousness of God is to renounce our own righteousness. If, if we truly think highly of the Mosaic law, and if they truly thought highly of, of the God who had inspired and, and inspired Moses to write his law, they, they would have recognized that they fell short and needed a savior. John Stott wrote, all human beings who know that God is righteous and they are not, naturally look around for a righteousness which might fit them to stand in God's presence. There are only two possible options before us. The first is to attempt to build or establish our own righteousness by our good works and religious observances. But this is doomed to failure, since in God's sight, even all our righteous acts are like filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. The other way is to submit to God's righteousness by receiving it from him as a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul described God's gift, this gospel truth of imputed righteousness, that perfect righteousness of God that is given to us through faith in Jesus in Philippians chapter three, verse nine. And, and when he was talking about his own life, Paul said, and to be found in him, that is Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. That beautiful truth that he who knew no sin, that is Jesus, became sin for us on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God. That incredible truth of double imputation that our our sin was put on Jesus so that when God saw Christ on the cross, instead of seeing his beloved son, he saw the wickedness of our sin and his wrath was poured out on Jesus. And therefore, all who trust in him 
When God sees us, instead of seeing all of our wicked sin, he sees Jesus' perfect righteousness. And, and that is what enables us to have a, a, a relationship and a walk with God. That's what enables us to know him and to make him known to others. That righteousness from God that depends on faith. Zeal, without truly knowing God, is dangerous because it can produce a false assurance of salvation. Pastor Kent Hughes wrote this. He said, it is so easy for a zealous person to be lost if one thinks religion exists as a ladder to elevate oneself to righteousness and acceptance before God. The fact is, a man or woman can be zealous for the scriptures, zealous for Sunday school, zealous for the programs of the church, zealous for body life, zealous for all these things and still be unregenerate, end quote. Well, the truth is, brothers and sisters, all of us, every one of you is zealous for something. It might be a sports team that you're zealous about, that you talk about, right? Um, it may be a profession. It may be something that's really good. Maybe right now in this pandemic, you become zealous about public health. Or maybe you become zealous about civil rights. We can be zealous for really good things. You can be zealous for homeschool. You could be zealous for being light in the public school. You could be zealous for expositional preaching. You could be zealous for unreached people groups. You could be zealous for racial justice. All of these wonderful things. But none of that should come close to any of our hearts than our zeal for Jesus Christ. None of that should come close to our zeal for Jesus Christ. And that is our final point this morning, point three. And I see this in verse four, zeal for Jesus Christ. Paul writes, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, this verse is uh, argued about a bit by scholars and, and pastors who who have, have debated for a very long time, what is the meaning here of that Greek word telos, which means the end? Okay, what does it mean that Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness? And, you know, what's easy, what's interesting, I, I kind of looked into this word a little bit, and, and actually in the Greek language, uh, it's pretty much the same as in the English language. The word end can have two meanings. It, it could mean purpose or fulfillment or it could mean termination. Think about it in our own language. We say things like, to the end that, well, we, we mean, when I say to the end that, I mean purpose, right? Or we say the end of the matter. And by that, I mean termination, right? So which is it? Is, is Christ the fulfillment of the law? Or is Christ the termination, the end of the Mosaic? Law. And my answer to those two questions would be one word. Yes. Let's look at Christ as fulfillment. Pastor 
Charles Spurgeon said that as all roads in England lead to London, so all scripture points to Jesus Christ. And so when we look at the very beginning of the book in Genesis chapter 1 and, and see God creating the heavens and the earth and the animals and the plant life and the seas and the fish and everything, we, we realize, looking at it through the lens of the New Testament, looking at it through Jesus, we realize that all things were made through him, that is Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made, John chapter 1 verse 3. And when, when you read about God's specific instructions in Exodus chapter 25 through 31 of the tabernacle, how exactly he wanted the tabernacle to be constructed, we, we see, and the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. And when we read the Torah, that is the first five books of the Old Testament. We, we see that the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John chapter one, verse 17. And when we read about the Passover lamb in Exodus 12, we then hear John the Baptist cry out, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1, 29. And when we hear David invite the nations to be glad and to sing for joy for God's future salvation, we hear Jesus tell Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. And when we hear the prophet Isaiah predict, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We see the Messiah, our, our Savior, our Lord, our hero Jesus, hanging on a cross in John 19, paying the price for our sins. And so Christ indeed, and this, I'm just getting started here. We could go on for days, honestly, doing this. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. But Jesus is also the termination or the end of the Mosaic law for righteousness. Now here's where we need to be very careful, okay? Um, there are folks who, turn, who tend towards antinomianism, and that's a big word, uh, that simply means anti-law, who, who want to say, hey, I'm in Christ, I got freedom basically to do whatever I want, okay, as long as it's loving in my own eyes. And that can be a whole lot of things, okay. There was nothing wrong with the Mosaic law. In fact, the Mosaic law revealed to us God's righteous standards, Right? We, we learn today, we should study the Torah. We should study the law of God, the Mosaic law, because there's so much beauty that we see of who God is. Even things that you may say, well, what does that have to do with me anymore? You know, we look at like the judicial law of the Old Testament. You know, building fences on rooftops. Well, we don't do that anymore. 
But what was the point? It was to preserve life. And so much of our legal structure in our country today is actually based on principles, morals that come from the Mosaic law. We, we have speed limits. We do things to try to protect one another. But this was termination of the law as the way of getting right with God, as one scholar put it. Another said this, the law was righteous in its requirements, but it fails as an instrument of justification. Paul wrote about this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. He said, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So let us not ever think that, that by doing um, good works or fulfill, you know, following um, whether it be the Mosaic law or the Ten Commandments or, or any other thing that we can somehow merit God's favor or earn salvation or, or get to heaven by doing more good than bad. It's only through Christ's righteousness being imputed on us through faith. But Christian, we should love God's law. Remember Paul said, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Remember Jesus who said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, do you love Jesus? Do you know Christ? Have you put all of your confidence, all of your trust in him? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So maybe you're sitting here today and truly you have never trusted in Jesus with all of your heart. Brother or sister, today, let it be the day that you give your heart to him, that you simply say, um, I, I give up trying to get there in my own righteousness, but I believe that you paid the price on the cross for my sins. I give you my heart. Save me. We're going to look at that in more detail next week when, when Pastor Bill walks us through Romans chapter 10 verses 5 through 13 that ends with, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, today, call in his name in faith. Christian, maybe you were saved years ago. Today, are you zealous for Jesus? Are you zealous for Jesus? Uh, maybe if, you, if you've lost some of that love, maybe you need to take a trip to go visit the walkers. Let me tell you something. When you show up in a, a church in Africa, you see great zeal for Jesus. I, I, I grew up in a no toe tapping uh, Presbyterian church, right? I remember when I was 20, um, going and spending a summer in Mozambique, later spent a couple years in Mozambique, and, and learning to dance before the Lord with my brothers and sisters with great joy and exuberance. Have you grown cold to him? Have you gotten distracted? If, if that's you, uh, let me encourage you to, to just spend time with him today and consider the words that Paul wrote in Philippians chapter three, verse seven through eight. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing 
Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the knowledge of you that you have revealed in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And I thank you for every page and every word and every letter that you inspired uh, in the Bible that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that we would cherish it, that we would read it. And I pray that as we grow in our knowledge of you, our zeal for Jesus would grow Lord, I pray that our zeal for your glory, our our zeal for your holiness in our lives, and our our zeal for the gospel, for for the souls of our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones would grow, Lord, such that we would truly know you and make you known. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that Rocky Bayou Baptist Church, I pray that the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America and your true church your universal church that right now is penetrating every tribe and tongue and nation around the world. Lord, I I pray that we would be red hot with passion for our Savior and our Lord and our hero Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen.